0: I wouldn't be surprised to see Brian getting beat down by the LAPD on TV. Neither
1: would I.
2: (laughs) Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Alright, guys, welcome in to a very, very special edition of the Lions of Liberty podcast. This is actually episode 52. Now, what is the significance of the number 52? It means that I've been doing this, considering the show is a weekly show, for about a year. Can you believe we've actually been around for a full year? I can't, but here we are anyway, and I decided to celebrate this year by bringing in some good friends of mine, some fellow Lions of Liberty, for what we've come to call one of our most popular features. Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor. And not only is this a special edition of the Lions of Liberty podcast, this is actually a special edition within a special edition because this is Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor, episode zero. This is the origin story. I'm channeling my inner comic book nerd here and dubbing this episode zero the origin story where you find out how everyone here became Lions of Liberty, became advocates for the ideas of liberty, and ended up here sitting around Drinking adult beverages, sitting in front of microphones, in front of computers, talking about all this stuff. So we're going to get to it right away. We're not going to waste any time, except for the time, the last minute or so that I just wasted with my little introduction there. We're going to start right here in the Lions of Liberty Studios. Once again, Brian McWilliams in the the studio with me. Hello, Here he is. And Brian, Uh, we're going to keep the question simple today. Nothing about what your favorite movie is or Christmas movies or any of that, jazz. I'm just going to ask the simple question, what are you drinking
1: today? I'm drinking a little, uh, little Mickners, Mickners, I don't know, M-I-C-H-T-E-R, apostrophe S, single barrel. It's pretty good. You get it Costco right now if you guys have memberships. Delicious straight rye. Just a
2: note, maybe next time before you come on the show, you just learn how to pronounce, you know, whatever it is. You're don't drinking. tell just, me how to live my life. Just an idea. Um, now we're going to toss it to a couple of old favorites on the podcast. My Pittsburgh boys, I got. John Odermatt and Trent Seaman, why don't you, uh, Odie, we'll go with you first.
3: What are you doing, uh, what are you drinking over there in Pittsburgh? And how's the weather, by the way? The weather's fantastic right now. It's, it's fall time. Falling, yes, leaves are falling. That's like the best time of year in Pittsburgh. Like two months of awesome weather. But I'm drinking delicious yingling. So not, not drinking liquor, sticking with the beer, but uh, Pennsylvania's favorite beer, yingling. Well, it
2: is a school night.
3: Well, Trent, what about you? What are you sipping on over there, pal?
4: It is America's oldest brewery, too. There you go. If I understand that correctly. I have a Bex, Mark.
2: A Bex, all right. We're 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 keeping it all over simple again once again there in Pittsburgh. But hey, you guys are on the East Coast, so it's understandable.
4: It's getting towards our bedtime. It really
2: is.
3: We're simple people, <laughs> too. We're simple.
2: Yeah, I just woke up, so we're, we're on com- <laughs> completely different spectrums of society here. And now we have another special guest making his very first appearance on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Coming to us all the way. From Virginia,
0: Howie Snowden. Hey, Mark. How you doing, man? Good, and I'm uh, feeling a little under the weather today, so I'm just drinking some coffee right now. Whoa, and, uh, whoa, whoa! Hold on, hold <laughs> on! It's terrible. not gonna work. <laughs>
2: Pause the recording. I quit. We gotta scratch this thing. <laughs> this is called libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor. What do you mean? Are you, are you at least? Are
0: you, can you at least humor us and, and you know put a little drop of something in there? Or? If I were drinking liquor right now, it probably would be some uh, Blanton's bourbon. Phantom drinker. Okay, so <laughs> uh, we can
2: we can imagine a fantasy world where all our dreams come true and. and Howie he is drinking some bourbon Oh, his we coffee. just
1: get really messed up on Robitussin, all right? Maybe <laughs> chug about half a bottle to come back at least, to us.
2: At least. We can get into all that stuff later. But, um you know, the reason I brought you guys all on today is because we're all, even those of you that don't necessarily contribute to the website or whatever, we're all part of this conversation, this liberty conversation. We've all been friends for a long time. We've been talking about these liberty issues for a long time. So this seemed like an appropriate crew to bring on to discuss the origin of the Lions of Liberty. Just where the heck did these guys all come from? Why are we going around ranting on the internet about all this crazy liberty stuff? So I think we should probably start at the beginning and, you know, we can get a little bit, bit into, you know, what our politics were growing up in our household and that kind of thing. I've mentioned a million times on the show that I was kind of brought up in sort of a small government Republican type household and my views kind of, you know, shifted from that point. Um, but, you know, the first time I was introduced to libertarianism, libertarian ideas, all that sort of thing was from my man Howie here, making his first appearance on the show. So, And that's why you're here today, Howie. So, Howie, why don't you start? Because you actually were the sure. first person to tell me about this Ron Paul character. And so why don't you just give everybody a little
0: background about how you first met Ron Paul and, you know, your background with him. Sure, yeah. I was uh, pretty lucky to find out about libertarianism a long time ago. Back when I was 17, it was 1997, I, I was a congressional page. And it was um, – at the time, it wasn't something that I applied for. Apparently, uh, Congressman Kijorski forgot to appoint a page and just kind of scrambling to find a 17-year-old kid who had uh, moved down to D.C. What was that? Oh, no uh, boy. <laughs> so I so I, I don't think there. we even need to make the joke. We'll just move on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I grew up, I, my household – my dad was a Republican. My mom was a Democrat. I didn't think anything about politics, period. Um. So, but being down in D.C., you know, I was willing to learn. I, I, I kind of assumed that I was a Democrat because so I thought, well, they're for freedom, right? I was. Yeah, democracy. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> certainly mistaken on that count, but um, what most of the congressmen didn't even really talk to the pages, but some of them did. Ron Paul being one, he was he was someone who really just wanted to educate people. He wasn't just going about his business worrying about reelection, but. I had a lot of conversations with him. He gave me a, a couple of books that he wrote, Freedom Under Siege, and I think uh, Challenge to Liberty. And just when he would talk and tell you stuff, it's when someone's telling you the truth, it just, it sounds different than the, the normal BS you hear from all the other politicians. But um, it was great to find out about that. But back then, libertarianism was not big at all and with all the crazy stuff going on in the world today I am so excited that it's really taking off despite despite the wars despite everything it feels like people are finally waking up and believing in individual rights and so I'm really happy to see this which is it it's all due to Ron Paul I mean I I met him young when I was younger his presidential campaigns uh, pretty much tipped the rest of the country off to this crazy liberty idea
2: yeah. And I remember in college, we, I don't even, you know, I vaguely remember, I should say, but we had a lot of <laughs> late night conversations. And one time I remember you brought this Ron Paul guy up and you were just ranting and raving about him, telling me how great he is. And, and I ended up checking out his column, his Texas Straight talk column This is before anyone, I mean, outside of Hardcore libertarians that had followed his presidential campaign in 88. I mean, most of mainstream America had never heard of this guy. He was just an obscure congressman from Texas. So I started checking out his columns. I think this is around or shortly after 9-11. I'm not sure, you know, the exact dates here at all. But, um... Yeah, I mean, I this kind of same thing stood out to me that stood out to you. He just sounded different than everybody else. It didn't sound like he was trying to spin things to, you know, make the Republican Party look good or make the Democrats look bad or or any of that normal, those normal political motivations. It sounded like he just really, whether you agree with him or not, and I, I thought he made a lot of sense at the time. I didn't really have a political philosophy of my own yet, but, you know, you one thing that's shown through in all of his writing and any any speech I saw him give was that it was truthful, or at least, you know, his version of the truth. He wasn't trying to pander or cater to anyone so and uh, you said that was kind of like the same thing that you noticed talking to him in real life you said was there other other congressmen that you talked to that still felt like sort of they were just kind of being politicians all the time even even you
0: know when you're just kind of chatting on the side or whatever most of them most of them but uh one other congressman surprisingly who did sit down and talk to me for over an hour in his office was uh what do they call him ron red dellums i think he might be the mayor of oakland now or something but uh he was actually talking about why we should get out of NATO, and despite him being a very liberal Democrat, I, I agree with him on that, that we should definitely not be in NATO anymore.
2: Yeah, now, now might be a good time to hop out before, uh, <laughs> before before things start to pick up, but we'll get to some yeah. current events later, maybe. Maybe we won't. Who knows? Because this is a scriptless show. We have no <laughs> idea where it's going on on libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor or drinking coffee in, in Howie's case, but we're going to live in the fantasy world where Howie's, where Howie's actually sneaking some <laughs> bourbon in there on the way. Uh, now, I'm curious about, we, we haven't really talked about this too much amongst ourselves, let's kind of kick it back a little bit uh you know we know where Howie came from where I sort of came from where'd you guys all kind of see your political views first start to develop was it like in high school or uh was it your parents or that kind of thing so why don't we kind of get into that a little bit so Brian what's the first time you can kind of remember having can I guess having any sort of political view at all
1: you know and I, I have a, an interesting story about this I actually remember distinctly uh because I think I was in god it was either elementary school or, or, or early middle school <laughs> And it was when it was Bush and Dukakis. And I remember that Dukakis had that, you know, a lot of kind of momentum behind him and, uh, <laughs> that epic photo of him in the tanks and all that. And my parents, uh, told me, they said, they, I said, who'd you vote for, mom and dad? And they said, we voted for Dukakis. And for some odd reason, I hated Dukakis. And I was like, all for Bush, the original Bush. And I was like, I can't <laughs> believe you did that. Uh, meanwhile, no idea what I was talking about. Just an idiot kid. So I guess that's kind of my first experience. Um, when I really got into it more though, and, and took a, a big interest was, was definitely, uh, more in college though. Um, you know, I, I, was a supporter of George W. when he took office. Yeah. You last um,
2: on to Team Bush early. Yeah.
1: Well, you know what? When he first ran though, <laughs> you know, when you look at the actual platform he ran on, it was, it was a fairly libertarian style platform. You know, it was about small government and non-interventionalism. And boy, did he ever pull, uh, the old switcheroo. Yeah, you know, it was just like Obama. Shocker. Just like Obama. No, it's just, just like they all do.
2: That's what Rand Paul's doing too, right? He's, yeah. like, he's trying to pull the switcheroo. We don't need to spend another hour wait. talking <laughs> about
1: it. I can't wait for the Rand Paul switcheroo. <laughs> yeah,
2: he's, he's uh, just like taking. Which, by the, the way, Switch I've
1: turned right. into a sexual maneuver. uh Just doesn't <laughs> my Oh, honest... John,
2: John, you got your first edit. <laughs> uh, first. Just kidding. This is live. This, is live. this is live tape. This is like Saturday Night Live. We just run through it. John gets the week or two
1: off, and we're just going to let things fly. So,
2: sorry guys, whatever you say, it's staying. So think about things a little bit
1: to so say I, I don't know about you guys but I, I found that over the years my my allegiances have kind of wavered before I kind of settled on libertarianism it went back and forth you know the needle went from Republican to Democrat depending on Kind of the actions that were, was going on in the world before I kind of found libertarian as the the happy medium where I agree with the most uh, ideals.
2: Sure, it, it kind of makes sense because we're brainwashed for so long to think that we have to fit into one side or the other. So we find ourselves in one side, and then you know we might something might happen where I start to think, oh no, wait, Republicans are bad. Okay, therefore I should probably be with one of the Democrats. They're but ba- they're the good ones, obviously, if the Republicans are bad. So then maybe you find yourself wavering on the other side. And then you're like, wait a minute, these guys are bad too. And then you hop back, and you're like, wait a minute. So what's going on here? And it's, it's only when you actually try to think about things in logical, reasonable terms and not just in these kind of little two-party boxes that we can actually start to break out a little bit. So, Pittsburgh boys, what about you guys? What was your uh, your kind of youthful uh, political experience like growing up? When did you first start to develop your political views? Odie, we'll start with you because it's your house, I think, that you guys
3: are at. So, uh, you, you get to Here's go first. my house. A, I will protect my house. Um, I, I think
4: <laughs> with my views. I think uh, that <laughs> –
3: My earliest, not my early earliest memory, but uh, I mean, you could say I grew up in a a Republican household. But it was also, I don't know, I guess independent thinking a little bit. Um, I remember when I was in fourth or fifth grade, whenever Ross Perot ran, whatever year that was. I have a terrible memory with uh, with that stuff. Was that eighty eight? No, it was was ninety two and then ninety two, maybe ninety two, ninety six. But whenever he was like, you know, doing the best when he was on the ticket and. Almost, you know, up around eight, nine percent, whatever. Anyway, so I gave a speech to my like fourth or fifth grade class, whatever it was, about Ross Perot. And he's going to rebuild the railroads and you know (laughs) fix all the highways. And he's super rich so he can bail us out of debt and and all this stuff. But uh, I mean, really, I I was just looking for uh, an alternative to the two parties at that point, I think. But uh, I mean, my classmates at the time were like, what the heck is wrong with this kid talking about (laughs) Ross Perot? (laughs) but uh, from from there i became um sort of a a diehard neocon um big uh i was a big george george w bush supporter i i remember getting in uh in college and right after college getting in heated arguments uh about you know about foreign policy and then when the iraq uh iraq war happened and the invasion about how you know george bush is gonna you know, save the Middle East by bringing democracy to Iraq and all that jazz. And I mean, I, I believed it big time, but, uh, we can get into uh, a little bit later. What, uh, what changed my mind there, but I'll pass it off to Trent.
4: Yeah. I think I'm kind of similar to everybody else on here. I, I grew up in a uh, pretty Republican household. And my, my parents were always huge Ronald Reagan fans because he, you know, brought down the Berlin wall and beat the Russians and everything. And I think, you know, much like uh, after 9-11, there probably wasn't anybody in the country that wasn't patriotic at that point. So. I always
2: thought it was Rocky Balboa that beat the Russians by <laughs> defeating, oh, defeating Drago mistaken. and winning them over, but I don't that, know.
4: That was probably the you know the hair that broke the camel's back. Well, did you guys get
1: a piece of the wall in elementary school that you could that you could purchase
4: for like five dollars? Do you remember that? Oh yeah, I, I do remember that. I think that I was, think a, that, had that, was
3: a, that had to
0: be a massive a scan, right? Chain.
4: I opted to spend my five bucks on the moon rock that came back on the uh, space
2: say, shuttle. I was literally just gonna say that that <laughs> must have been a scam, like moon rocks. Like, there's no yeah. way that was yeah. a real thing, because moon rocks were, were BS, weren't they? I don't even. I didn't do any research, obviously, on this topic before the show. Hey, <laughs> but <you're> I'm gonna... <laughs> I'm assuming moon rocks were bullshit and not from, from the moon. John, oh. that's a real edit. Sorry, Sorry I, started I started my two week vacation five, five seconds, seconds ago. ago. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: the, well, the Berlin Wall. It's like, what do you rub a sausage and a little graffiti on a rock? And yeah, who's who's to know?
4: Yeah, yeah. I remember hearing the story about I think they told us in second grade actually. It was like a, you know, one of those picture books you read about two kids kicking a soccer ball over the Berlin Wall and they had a note on it. And it was basically the the kid on the west side who was, you know, capitalist and the kid on the east side who was communist and after time the communist wouldn't let the kid kick the ball over the the wall anymore and you know, you just were like what's wrong with these people? How could they hate freedom so much? And, you know, <laughs> it's just building that, uh, that incensed, you know, capitalist. Uh,
2: Why do communists hate playing games with balls so much? Yeah, exactly. is this because I don't understand balls. this. We have to destroy <laughs> them.
4: <laughs> yeah, but, you know, and then shortly after that, George Bush became president and, you know, like much like John just kind of took the, the neocon role. And then when 9-11 happened, you know, George Bush was the greatest guy in the world when he was standing on top of all the rubble with his arm around the firefighter and the megaphone talking about how, you know, we were going to go over there and make this right. And, you know, fast forward a couple of years and whole mindset changed when you see. An alternative side of that story. I guess. As a
2: young uh, Neo Connie Trent Seaman sat in his uh, hot tub with drinking champagne, watching George Bush uh, huddle with the firefighters,
4: yeah. knowing <laughs> that all would soon be right in the world. Hey, I went to the inaugural ball in two thousand four. Wow. I was that into it.
2: Now, how did you end up at the inaugural ball? Can anybody just buy a ticket to that? How's that? No, work? no,
4: no. I or you I knew camp- some I campaigned in Pittsburgh with with Danielle. We were we went at it hardcore, door to door, and standing <laughs> on street corners and. People spitting on you and throwing stuff at you.
2: <laughs> wow. on, the, on the next libertarian confession, that's, that's like
4: Mark yeah. and I. Mark and I uh, out here for Ron Paul. Yeah, I, hey, was, I was a member of the Young Republicans in Allegheny County at the time.
0: Trent, you're being cued by Howie. Oh, yes. what's up? Interesting. Um, you know, I was a libertarian '97, but after 9/11 happened, I started to waver on the non-intervention thing. I mean, it was an emotional event for I think everybody in the country, and I, yeah. I, I supported going into Afghanistan in the beginning. Then, um, in retrospect, I've come to my senses and realized what a mistake the whole thing was. But well, heck, even, like-
2: even your guy Ron Paul voted for uh, voted for the action in Afghanistan or, or, or authorized kind of a vague action against whoever did nine eleven.
0: Right, and and you know, if we had just gone in, bombed the camps, and left, and said, "Hey, do that again, we'll come back," but he he even said himself he should have realized that they would abuse it and they would do way more than yeah. they were saying was the plan, and. Uh, you just can't trust
4: him. <laughs> no, you you can't.
0: Let's just sit on the nine eleven
2: topic for a minute, because whether that was a, a turning point for all of us, I think it probably a, at least uh, shaped our views in some way, if not at that moment, then going forward. Now, for me, I remember uh, waking up that morning and just turning on the TV and s- seeing this thing going on in every channel, people talking about a plane hitting a building. And for a while, I think everybody just thought it was a plane that, like, happened to fly into the building. And We thought it was odd, but it wasn't, like, this national hysteria. Next thing you know, you actually see a plane hit a building. And then there's talk of, you know, hijacking, stuff and something in Pennsylvania. It's just absolute chaos. I remember we were all, I think living in the same house at the time we're fraternity brothers by the way um i don't know if we've ever mentioned that so (laughs) libertarian confessions yes we're frack guys um we're getting it all out today boys uh but i remember just kind of we're all just sitting out around the house kind of in shock i don't think anybody went to class that day it was like the
0: last thing on anyone's mind i was
1: actually working at hooters and that's that's true i was working at hooters when it happened more confessions Um. Yeah, we saw it on the tv
0: I was just waking up, I think. Uh, (laughs) Hey, it was nine in the morning. It's not even that late. Yeah. I remember I was was asleep on that little dentist couch we had in our room, Mark. And uh, (laughs) uh, somebody's, like, a plane just hit a a TV. I I don't know whose room we ran to, but I know we were all sitting around watching it all day and just couldn't believe it.
2: And I guess, I mean, the way I was almost like you guys, I mean... You know, at the, your first instinct is, oh, my God, we, quote, unquote, are being attacked. Innocent people are dying. We, again, quote, unquote, we have to do something about it. And yeah. the problem is, you know, oh, someone's cracking one yeah, open again. Someone's go. doing their job, trying to, you doubling down for uh, to make up for Howie over there.
4: I'd say who's on her game is Nicole. Man. She just hooked us up with a couple frosty ones over here. Oh, nice.
2: <laughs> Oldie's lovely wife, Nicole, is, is yeah, helping fuel this mission right I now. I see the honeymoon
4: <laughs> period still hasn't worn
1: off yet. <laughs>
2: By part two of the origin story, that will he'll be he'll be ordering <laughs> beers uh, online. <laughs> do you guys have that? Do you guys have online? Can you guys order like drinks to your? House? You can't do that in Pennsylvania. What am I talking about? You can't even <laughs> you buy beers serious? at the store. <laughs>
0: we actually have apps now that where you can actually like get liquor delivered to your yeah. house.
2: You can do all wow. sorts of things. Yeah. Oh
0: God, that's. I def- I definitely need to leave Virginia and move to Los yeah. Angeles. <laughs> it's, it's a yeah, brave it's a new book. world.
4: You guys-, guys are from the future, man.
2: <laughs> oh man, we could probably do. I think we said this before. A whole podcast on uh. Arcane Pennsylvania uh, liquor and beer <laughs> laws, and yeah. how you have—if you want to have a, a nice night on a Saturday night, you have to go up to about six stores to, to make it yeah. happen. <laughs> thanks to all the insane laws there. Um let, Let's go around and just do a little. Uh, 9-11, I guess, uh, forum, I guess. We'll try touching that a little more. Cause, uh, you know, like I said, when it happened to me, I was kind of the same thing. Your gut reaction is to want to lash out, lash out at someone, make someone pay for this terrible act and all that as, as we should, as is natural whenever people, innocent people are, are harmed. But it, I mean, I, I, started getting skeptical right away. And this is before I even was skeptical of government at all, really. I just thought that small government was more efficient cause that's what, you know, George Bush said it or whatever. So, you know, I had really no moral principle behind it. But I remember even with, I thought it was odd that even within, like, two or three days, they were, I don't maybe it was a week, I don't know, but they were bombing Afghanistan or talking about bombing Afghanistan right away. And I thought that was just, like, so weird that they came to this whole conclusion so quickly, like, without any kind of, like, trial or any kind of, like, public forum that would, you know, outlay the facts or anything like that. It was just like, oh, it's this guy with a beard, he lives in these caves, we're going to this country. it's like, oh, uh, okay, where is this place again? I mean, I don't think I even knew much about Afghanistan at the time. And I remember, weren't 15 of them from Saudi Arabia? Like, isn't that that a thing we need to think about?
1: Yeah, the majority, by about
2: 75%. Yeah, so I think it's the first time that I started to get, I guess, skeptical and and look into things more. And I remember shortly thereafter reading an article about how Bill Clinton was for years trying to uh, establish an oil pipeline in Afghanistan. He was talking to the Taliban, like negotiations weren't going great. There was a back and forth thing. and And that was something that was meant to go in place for a long time. And I remember just that were, there was an article kind of speculating on the connection. Oh, suddenly we're going into Afghanistan after they've been you know, trying to get this oil pipeline for all these years. Then it would later turn out that you know they established that very same oil pipeline that they were trying to establish for all those years before the war. So things like that started to get get me skeptical of just everything. I mean, of the media, the way they portray things, of the government, the lines they give out. So I think it, that event in some way really got. Um, the ball rolling and in, in terms of just kind of thinking about things on a deeper level. So what about you guys, Brian? I know you mentioned that it kind of, uh, moved you a bit too.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard not to be moved by that. You know, you're standing there and, and, you know, the, the thing that got me the most was just when you see the firefighters rush in, you know, these first responders and seeing they rush in after the first plane hits. And then, you know, like how I mentioned that second plane hits and it's just like, oh my God, you know, and it collapses and you, you know, how can you not just, uh, just feel that to your core, but, you know, echoing, you, yeah, I was hugely supportive of the action. How could you not be? But, you know, as more and more details came out, um, uh, you know, it became a little bit more apparent that the right moves might not have been made in that. And then it's one of the things that also bothers me. And, and this is a touchy subject to bring up. I actually, you know, it's, I, I've, I've had some altercations of people, um, expressing how it upsets me a little bit when, you know, we commemorate 9-11. We should commemorate, but they made such a massive deal about it. And they, and I feel like it's, the government uses it in a, in a large way to, you know, get the Patriot Act came from 9-11. They use it as this massive som- symbol for this is why we are able to crush your liberties. And they keep going back to it, even though, you know, it's been 13 years now. And, you know, I, I haven't seen anything major happen. I don't know about you guys.
2: You know, it's funny. I just realized this, but, you know, th- this will be um this podcast will... uh Be a little bit older by the time it's released, but we're actually recording this on uh, Wednesday, September 10th. The eve. The eve of 9-11, so it's uh, interesting that this happened to come up at this time, and you know whenever it's 9-11, you see the full... Spectrum of coverage, like Brian said, we see the memorials, you see all the the videos and all this stuff. And of course, I mean, you always want to honor victims and that kind of thing. But, you know, my concern is that it always seems to be spun into, and therefore we got to go to, um, Iraq and, you know, fight IS, IS and all this stuff. So you always got to watch out when they're really hyping up these events because there's usually more of a kind of, um, a backstory about you know, their motivations for hyping certain days and certain times and certain historical events that might not always be just a, a respect for the, the loss of innocent lives, if you will.
0: Mark, something I thought that was uh, really interesting. Um, it seems like I, not, not just us, but the country as a whole kind of is starting to view the whole Afghanistan Iraq thing as a mistake. We shouldn't have done that. And it, when uh, a few months back, when they were saying that Syria had used chemical weapons presidents like, That's one of my red lines. It sounded like they were all set to go, but the American people are just like, hell no, we are not going into Syria. But now, who knows what's going to happen. There's this new threat with ISIS that uh, is getting drummed up, and I'm really interested to see if we did actually learn anything from the quagmire we found ourselves in in uh, Afghanistan Iraq. Are we going to be led into another war for not a really great reason, or do people know better now? It'll be interesting to see.
2: Well, why don't we delve into this a little bit? Because, you know, this is the nature of this show. It's unscripted. We take it wherever it goes. So why don't, why don't we put our tinfoil hats on a little bit and, and kind of talk about this ISIS or ISIL. The name keeps changing all the hype around this. Now, I mean, the big thing that, the big thing that the media has hyped up, at least from what I've seen, I mean, I pretty much don't watch like the mainstream TV at all. Right? But I mean, I pick up what people are talking about from social media and it seems like the real big hype is behind these beheadings that we see. Now, uh, have you guys – has anybody here watched? actually watched the actual beheading videos?
1: I have not. No, I haven't either.
3: No, I'm, I'm not going to watch that.
1: Yeah, I'm not it watching makes, it either. It makes my butthole clench when I watch stuff like that. <laughs> not... I avoid it.
3: Well, they I just
0: watched something like that in a training when I was in the Army, and it's, I will never choose to see something like that again. They made you watch a beheading? Uh, yeah, uh, an American who had been captured by a terrorist. It was during – is that the um, one in Pakistan?
1: Yeah, I remember there was one that I did watch, which is why I did I not watch this was, one. I forget where
0: was, but the, the sound was the most awful thing I've ever heard, and uh, I'm not going to willingly choose to watch something like that again.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I saw one like 10 years ago. It might have even been the same one, and there's no need for me to see something like that, but, you know, there's obviously a lot of uh, ideas out there about the validity of the videos, what these journalists are up to. There's reports that um, this last guy that was... Killed over there he was supposedly sold to isis by these quote-unquote moderate rebels in syria these guys that john mccain was seen taking photographs with these these wonderful heroes that we were about to support that obama was going to support with his uh you know little red line speech there so these guys are supposedly the ones that sold this guy over to isis to be used as a propaganda piece or what have you and there's of course also people out there that are saying experts even saying that these videos are staged um and they're obviously staged i mean whether they're legitimate beheadings or not they're they're staged one way or another they're at least staged even if they're completely legitimate they're staged as propaganda you have to ask what is the purpose of the propaganda now from either way you look at it if you're the terrorist doing the beheading you're saying come and get it right i mean you're saying come here america come over here come fight us we're bad i mean why else would you be doing that why else would you be provoking people at the same time from the view of the government, it's the government saying, look, look at this video. We got to go there. So it seems like no matter what side you're on with this video, you know, with all the, the hype around them, it's saying the same thing. It's saying, come here, go there. It's, it's, it's leading to the call for interventions that do you, do you guys see that?
3: Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting, I guess, that sure, obviously comes off that way that ISIS is, uh, you know, is, is saying, you know, come here and get us. But the, you know, the politicians and the administration is saying that by doing these beheadings, ISIS is actually telling United States to leave the Middle East. Which doesn't make any sense at all. but
2: Well, maybe they think the, they see the United States as just like a 15-year-old bad boy rebel. So they're telling them what they don't want them to do, but it's really what they want them to do. You know, right. It's like well, a reverse psychology <laughs> thing.
1: One <laughs> way well, a way, look at it this way. The, you know, the U.S. is using ISIS as a reason to, you know, this is why we have to keep doing the things we're doing. This is why we have to stay in power. You need us. Maybe ISIS is looking at it the same way. If they don't have somebody to fight against, i.e. the United States, then they lose their recruiting base, they lose their power, and they lose their hold of the country as it becomes less conservative. So, eh, who knows? Maybe, maybe they need us just like we need them.
3: <laughs> I give Brian, I award Brian one point for that answer. That's point. I did not Very... know we
2: were doing a point system. Does, have you been doing this the whole time, or is that what that, that little was... cling earlier was? I thought yeah. I heard like a victory point earlier. I didn't want to mention yeah. it, but. That was
3: the first point awarded, so we are from
2: <laughs> now on. All right, so w- maybe we'll do a point tally at, at the end of the show. There you go. Uh, with no, uh, no kind of justification for how these points are awarded whatsoever, but I like it that way. The Lions of Liberty Friends will return after these
1: important messages.
2: Do you want your kids to meet the champion of the Constitution? What if there was an illustrated book that introduced libertarianism to you through the story of Ron Paul's amazing life? What if this biography breaks down complex concepts like Austrian economic theory, the dangers of the Federal Reserve, blowback, and non-interventionist foreign policy? What if I told you this book is real and available? What if I told you that school libraries accept donations? What if you donate a copy to your local school library and give hundreds of youth the opportunity to meet Ron Paul? What if you don't? Who will? The book is Meet Ron Paul. And you can get your copy today at lionsofliberty.com slash meet Paul. As Ron Paul has said, there can be no revolution without a revolution in education. Meet Ron Paul and keep the liberty movement moving. Hey guys, Mark Claire here, lionsofliberty.com, where we strive to advance the ideas of liberty daily. We bring you The Morning Roar. That's right. Every Monday to Friday, we'll have a brand new edition of The Morning Roar, where we provide a roundup of some news stories that you may not find in the mainstream media or even in your typical social media news feed. We find stories that relate to the ideas of liberty and provide you with our liberty perspective on them. We wrap it all up every Friday with Felony Friday, where our own John Odermatt goes out and takes a look at some sort of felony. There's felonies committed every day, you know, whether it's a felony committed by the police, a politician, or even an average citizen. You can find all of this and so much more over at LinesOfLiberty.com, advancing the ideas of liberty daily. Chris
3: Rossini's new book, Set money free. Set money free. What every set American free. needs to know about the Federal Reserve. Set
2: money free. With a special forward by Ron Paul. Set money That has easy to understand questions and answers.
3: Set money free. Set Buy set money free on Amazon.com. Set money free. Chris Rossini's Set Money free. Set
4: money free. Set money free. This is Glenn Jacobs, and you're listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide,
0: your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire.
2: Trent, why don't we move on to you a little bit? I'm kind of curious how. The 9/11 thing. I know. I know you mentioned you were pretty, pretty hoorah, pretty gung ho, pretty all for Bush even into 2004, campaigning for him, going to that inaugural ball, getting all spruced up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know it's important if Trent is like putting on a shirt and tie or something. So I know it was a big deal. Um, so like, when when do you think you first started to sort of change your views? Maybe even if it's just on foreign policy, or maybe just sort of getting disillusioned with the whole Republican George Bush brand in general. When did that start for you? It started.
4: Well, after September 11th, I was in the typical neocon camp that we needed to go over to Afghanistan and take care of this. And obviously that led to my campaigning for Bush in 2004. And then uh, when my wife and I were doing that, a couple of years into Bush's second term, we started getting really turned off by the local organization. Um, a lot of the people that were running the organization that we were part of were behaving much like the politicians. How we talked about earlier in our uh, session here, whereas I'll never forget the the one thing that happened. Um, there, there was a, a formal ball put on for the young Republicans, and the one person involved. When we asked them about it, they said, "Well, if it if it goes well, I'll take credit for it. If if it doesn't, I won't take credit for it." I thought to myself you know, that's insane. But it sounded so much like other politicians do. And I realized that the organization we were in was really just a breeding ground for the next, you know, junior politician to become the next person running for office on whatever possible platform they could just to get elected. You started seeing through people that way. And then, uh, and then when we were all at Preakness in 2008, <laughs> uh, we
2: we could we, do about uh, three podcasts on on yeah. the Preakness trip, but we should probably save that for a different forum.
4: <laughs> I'll keep it clean. Long story short, we started talking about 2008 elections, and I thought Rudy Giuliani was the man. And, okay. and oh, I remember this! Yeah, I remember yeah, meeting you. <laughs> uh, yeah, Yeah, you, uh. you destroyed me. <laughs> And then uh This then is all flushing that. back into into my memories yeah. now. <laughs> I forgot and how much after. I loathe you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh I thought about some of the stuff you said, no matter how belligerent it may have come off. It actually started <laughs> to make sense when I was driving home trying to focus on staying on the road. Yeah, so I, I, I might
2: not have been the eloquent uh you know, uh voice for liberty that I, I fashion myself to be now at the time. I think I was more of a oh, angry like yeah.
4: why don't you get this? Oh, yeah. How do you like Rudy? Thank you.
2: I, I like to think so.
1: By the way, quick funny thing, I remember when we were in college, uh when we were they were trying to find Saddam Hussein, and you know it was when he was hiding in the ground. And I remember I walked into the room and trench look at you know, learning the computer, somebody goes, I already graduated. Maybe yeah, Well, story. we were different. Maybe you were gone a year. But uh, he yeah. jumps up and he's like,
4: we got him!
1: <laughs> yeah! and he's literally like dancing, dancing around, you, you know, it because they found Saddam.
4: <laughs> there was no one around to chest butt me. No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Trent but, felt like uh, he had actually captured Saddam. Yeah, the
4: that was, was, he, he was looking vicariously. Vicarious. We did. We did. Yeah, this was we? the collective we. There he practiced
1: pulling <laughs> pulling dirt-covered slabs of styrofoam out of the ground and punching mose ever inside
2: <laughs> and finally we didn't have to worry about terrorism anymore
4: yeah it was all over i mean happy days and
2: everything's been great since then i think that's how it ended
0: all right thanks for tuning in guys uh that's how liberty happened and
2: that's how uh, now. okay we'll keep going um,
0: i don't know about anybody else but i'm uh, a lot more worried about the police than uh, terrorists um all these videos are coming out recently all the brutality is crazy oh, yeah. that, that that's the threat not a terrorist nobody i know is gonna get killed by a terrorist most likely but, no, i mean hardly anybody even knows i'm jewish so why would they why would they bother <laughs> targeting me um <laughs> you're jewish exactly see it's
2: a, it's a whole weird thing nobody knows
0: but I, would, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see brian getting beat down by the lapd on tv <laughs> I, would. Neither would I. I like how you chose brian that's the only me. beating i would
1: support hey that's what i moved here now to get my big break
2: but, i mean i wonder about that sometimes i mean is it is it that police are getting more abusive or is it that we just have like tons of video cameras in the internet now. I mean, did, how much of this stuff had had to have been always going on and just not, they never became big stories because the mainstream media still doesn't really cover this much this stuff unless it blows up huge like Ferguson or whatever. But I mean, I don't know. Was Kelly Thomas even covered on the mainstream media? I think it might've been a little bit, but I mean, it was mostly an internet story. A lot of this stuff are internet stories because everyone's got cameras and almost everything is recorded by somebody. Uh, especially if you're in an elevator, <coughs> Ray Rice. Um, so, you know, <laughs> we can't really, people, which is good. Cause I mean, you can't escape from, people can't escape from the brutality they're laying on other people. Um, so what do you guys think about all that? Do you think we're really seeing an increase? I mean, I haven't looked again, no research here. I, I haven't looked at any <laughs> stats. I don't know if police well, abuse is actually the, Even increasing. if there were
1: stats. I mean, who's to say they're accurate in any way, shape, or form? Well, forth? exactly. Who's making
2: the yeah. stats? I mean, the, the police departments themselves? Right.
4: What you can't avoid though is if you look at these local police departments that literally have these armored cars now that literally look like an armored armored car that a financial company would use, that's, you know, why do they need these things? And that's the one thing that woke me up to what Howie was saying. It's just seems so unnecessary, you know, it, long story short, I'm just saying that it's, very disturbing to see these local police departments have these armored vehicles. It just seems so unnecessary. And if they're just simply trying to control crowds, what do you need military level vehicles for? That's what makes me agree with Howie's point about the police being more of an issue than, than terrorists.
1: Great. I just I just wrote a, a quick thing about this is um, they actually yeah, there's a school district, not cops, not local cops. School district in Texas that's doing the same thing, by the way, militarizing their campus cops for you know, high schoolers. Now, they've got they've got M16s they've got military grade equipment like you're talking about these heavy artillery heavy uh vehicles and everything like that it's just it it's gone beyond the point of reasonability
4: yeah it's unbelievable so unnecessary
3: i'm not sure if it's necessarily the the weapon sure the the weapons and the tanks seem like overkill <laughs> i think it's more where they're coming from and why they're coming from um why they're coming from where they're coming from which is the uh which is the military because we have a a foreign policy that is interventionist and out of control and is funded by the federal reserve and funded by our tax dollars. And whenever they use up, you know, they got to Whenever they use up the old stuff, they got to buy new stuff. So the military industrial complex continues to operate and continues to grow. So they got to push that stuff back home. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing here to highlight.
2: Sure. And the one thing I think about in this whole debate, this debate about, Police militarization, and obviously, I don't think the police should have, you know, all this kind of um, these armored vehicles, these um, riot gear. They have these MRAs, these sound cannons that can really cause serious uh, damage to people. I mean, long term damage to a lot of people, and they're the same things we use in Iraq, the same weapons they used in Fallujah. And I'm against all of it, but at the same time, I, I do think that it might be a little bit of a distraction in the way when we when a, we focus specifically on quote unquote militarization and not at the reasons that you know, there is these abuses in the first place, you know, and I think it comes down to a complete lack of regard and conception of individual rights. Now, everyone's all upset when, when, uh, you know, they see a video of somebody getting beat up and abused and rightfully so, but nobody gets upset when a kid just, you know, gets arrested for having some crack and, and goes to jail for 10 years. Now it might not be as, you know, uh, um, outwardly brutal of a thing, but long-term, if you're sticking a kid in a cage, that's pretty freaking brutal too. And then that happens to Uh, millions and millions of people in this country every year so i think there are are deeper reasons and it's this kind of deeper reasons that these things like ferguson end up blowing up i actually read something from the huffington post that ferguson the average household in ferguson pays over three hundred dollars this is the average household pays three hundred dollars a year in court fees i mean how many jeez i mean that's just and these is one of the poorest places in the country maybe not in the country, again, no research, but it's a very poor area is the point, a very poor section of St. Louis. So, you know, these areas are sort of targeted for revenue generation. The poorest areas of the country are the ones targeted most for revenue generation by police. And the way they can do that is through all these laws, through the war on drugs, through laws that just allow them to stop and frisk people. Now, I mean, some places that's not a law, some places controversial, but the point is a lot of these things, you know, that people call out when they are upset about the militarization of police A lot, And we aren't guilty of that here, really, but a lot of those same people in other forums will have no problem with the war on drugs or with the idea that police should be arresting people for owning a plant, owning a chemical, that kind of thing. So I think, in a way, I mean, I don't want the police having all these weapons because knowing what the police do nowadays and the kind of laws they're enforcing, obviously arming them more is is not a good thing. But when we think about the focus on the specific weapons, you know, it's, it's not the tool that's evil. It's just like gun control. It's not, you know, we can't... Just because the police have guns, we aren't saying it's the guns that are the problem. Same thing. Just because the police have tanks and MRADs, I don't want them to have them. But again, those aren't the root of the problem. It's really just the conception of all the laws we have. And then these are the things that most of the majority of the populace supports. And that's kind of what we have to change long term. So... You know, you're right, Odie. The, the the um, you know, the military just handing these weapons out to these police departments. Of course they're going to find a way to use them and they're going to use the laws already in place and enforce those laws in an even, you know, harsher fashion with these weapons. But uh, I don't know, what do you guys think about my rant? Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, sometimes I go on them.
4: I agree with you. I think the whole drug war is just another way of uh controlling society. It's it's totally unnecessary. It violates people's civil liberties if they want to Put something in their body that should be their own choice, um, and I think you're you're also right. I think it also expands police control, and um, I, I think on an outside subject of what we were talking about, it's it's somewhat concerning to me that how how much stronger the the police forces are getting, and I don't know if they're preparing for something even bigger than what's going on. If they think at some point that crowd control on a countrywide basis might be needed, that's something that concerns me a little bit, but. I'll let you guys weigh in on Mark's rant before we go down any other.
2: <laughs> Howie, what about you? We haven't heard from you in a little bit.
0: Uh, I know yeah, you're awake I, drinking that coffee over there. Yeah. So. I mean, I totally agree. And it's nice seeing that this is actually being talked about now by people. People don't like that the, the cops have all the this military equipment. And, I mean, up until Ferguson happened, nobody was saying anything about any of this. It was just going on unchecked. But, um. That's just another example where people are starting to wake up to a lot of this stuff, and part of that is you guys and what you do at Alliance of Liberty getting the message out, and that's the most important thing. No, no politician's ever gonna fix or change anything. It, what has to happen is for the people to believe in individual rights and to just not let anything go that that's wrong. But um, the other thing you mentioned, the drug war, I think is. Besides the actual wars, that's the worst thing going right now. It ruins so many lives. It's just a way to raise money for the state and a lot of these drugs. I mean marijuana is harmless, but uh, tobacco and alcohol is legal. I'm not saying that those things should be illegal. I'm for the legalization of all drugs, but um, right,
2: even if the internal logic that they use is completely flawed, even if you
0: buy the premise in the first place, which of course we don't. (laughs) Right, none of it. It's not based on science, and a lot of these drugs, like uh, marijuana, MDMA, uh, some different psychedelics, have a lot of actual uses. But they have been uh, using to treat people with PTSD, curing people that otherwise. I mean, so many soldiers are killing themselves every day, and there's these potential life-saving cures for them, but they're illegal and not allowed to be used.
2: Right. And those are illegal. Meanwhile, it's it's completely legal and encouraged for people to take prescription drugs for depression that are proven to cause people to have suicidal tendencies. They're allowed, people are allowed to to take sleeping pills that are proven to cause people to sleepwalk and drive in their sleep. I mean, this, these are completely legal things. So even if you buy the premise somehow that the government's job is to protect us from anything we might ingest, they're really not doing a very uh, consistent job of that.
0: And those, those legal drugs, it's, uh, the pharmaceutical companies want Uh, These other drugs to stay illegal, so they can keep making money on uh, the ones that they're peddling. That you know, actually cause people to kill themselves in some instances, and it's 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 just the the government and businesses getting together and crony capitalism,
2: baby, fascism. The war on drugs is really just another example of it. Because I actually read an article recently that a lot of anti marijuana advocates are actually funded by the drug companies, like Howie just mentioned. So the drug companies are paying for, you know, quote unquote experts to go out there and keep advocating for laws that will make certain things illegal and keep, you know, the prescription drugs legal. And I think it should all be legal and we should all sort it out by, you know, by seeing what works. And, you know, if something's harmful, people aren't going to end up buying that, especially when there are cheaper natural options, for example, with make me marijuana or that kind of thing that can, you know, accomplish a lot of the same things with, with, with a lot less damage to your mind body and soul and with that I, I actually think it's time for us to kind of wrap up this episode a little bit we've gone on a few different rants that's kind of the nature of the show like we said we've got a little more to talk about so we will take it i think we're going to take episode 52 episode zero into an episode 0a <laughs> next week we're going to continue <laughs> we've got a good solid base i think about how, our kind of early development of our political views and that kind of thing but uh, next week, we'll try to get into a little more about what we're currently going on, our current views, getting into the Ron Paul campaign, how that led to the creation of Lions of Liberty, how that led to this podcast. Um, but until then, you know, I, I don't know if you guys listen to the show. I hope you do sometimes. But all I ever ask of my listeners, as you know, is to do one thing. And maybe you can just chime in with me at the end here. But all I'm going to ask you guys till next week when we continue with this origin story of the Lions of Liberty is to live long. Uh, hey.
1: And live History.
4: free! Head <laughs> of Editing and Mastery
1: John Dawson.